But I think if you want to take a bit of a step back and, and think about GR in that kind of like larger perspective, you know, as being, uh, you know, government and, and community and society kind of being deeply intertwined, um, I've seen a lot that have taken the perspective that, you know, there's on one hand, there's sort of the specific uh, explicit asks, but then there's also kind of how not-for-profits, uh, charities or community groups can uh, kind of extend their reach um, and kind of empower themselves through through government contact. Hi, friends. Ever wondered how you could turn your big ideas into results? I'm Maria Rio, your go-to guide for helping small nonprofits have real-world impacts. Together, let's reimagine a better sector, tackle systemic issues, and yes, raise some serious cash. Welcome back to The Small Nonprofit, the podcast where your passion meets action. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Small Nonprofit Podcast. I'm your host, Maria Rio. And today I have someone very interesting uh, joining me. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Tristan, who is actually not a nonprofit professional. (gasps) Gasp. So Tristan's going to share his expertise with us today. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me, Maria. Can you tell our audience who you are, what you do, how you got into what you do? Sure. Yeah. My name's uh, Tristan Dowdudney. Um, and uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm a lobbyist. Um, those of us in the industry, we call ourselves government relations professionals. Um, that's sort of the, the, the professional choice of words there. Um, so by way of background, um, I studied too much political science in university um, and wound up um, working in a, in a political office uh, at City Hall here in Toronto um, a number of years back. So I spent about um, eight and a half years working uh, in government at the municipal level, political level. And then around 2019, I made the transition uh, from political office to working for one of the larger consultancies. Um, ultimately, I was the uh, director of municipal affairs uh, for Sussex Strategy Group. And then more recently, I've, I've broken off to start my own uh, business. Um, and these days, I'm doing uh, government relations work um, at the municipal, provincial, and federal level uh, here in Toronto. I find your job very interesting and very exciting uh, and kind of a little bit obscure. So I'm glad that we get to have this conversation and bring in the sector. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is lobbying and what is it not? Sure. I, you know, it, Big question. I mean, on, on paper, lobbying is 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 essentially defined as um, uh, pushing for government to make a decision one way or another, whether that's uh, policy or allocation of funding or or selecting a, a vendor. Um, it, it you know, anytime you are asking uh, a public official, whether elected or not, to do something, uh, even come for a tour of your facility or, or to you know come and meet the, the team. Um, depending on the conditions, uh, that that's that's lobbying. So, what is it not? What is lobbying not? Um, well, lobbying, is, I suppose, is is, is not uh, most of the day to day things uh, anybody does uh, for their work, unless you're a lobbyist. Um, uh, but you know, to be fair, though, there, there is a bit of a, a gray space, um, and this is and this is why I find it interesting as a field to practice in. Um, you know, the, the 
obviously so much of, of the world is political and, and social. There are so many relationships that are, are consequential in terms of you know how governments make decisions or uh, in, in turn how communities make decisions uh, based on, on government that there there is a whole sort of political lens that can be put on almost anything that you do. Um, most organizations don't, don't think about it. They don't necessarily need to. You know, they, they just serve basic assumptions that the world will continue on the way it, it has, um, or they have an idea of where, it's, where the world's going, and they don't need any kind of push or pull to to change that. Um, so uh, things can be as political or GRE as you want them to be. Um, everybody kind of does their own sort of you know, uh, risk um, opportunity analysis on their own. So one of the issues that I have with our sector, one of many, uh, and why I'm excited to have you here, is because nonprofits usually address issues in a very piecemeal manner, even though the root cause is a systemic issue or a policy choice or whatever it is. Um, there's many nonprofits trying to address symptoms of policy choices, but they're not actually either able to advocate or willing to do so. Um, I read a study, I think it was only 3% of nonprofits in the States actually advocate and engage with government officials, while 100% have the legal right to do so. And in Canada, we know that there is definitely a chill in, they call it a chill, right? Uh, in any kind of advocacy of the government in case people felt that their nonprofit status could be taken away or revoked. Um, how, it, how are other sectors applying lobbying successfully? Uh, and then I'll dive into how can nonprofits actually build uh, that kind of strategy internally? Sure. I mean, yeah, if you think about you know, traditional lobbying, you know, it, it is the domain of, of, of business and companies. Um, so there's often not a lot of obvious overlap for people to think about how it can apply. Um, but essentially, I know you can think of a few sort of traditional examples. Um, you know, if, if you're if you're a housing developer who wants to get a building approved, um, you know, protracted approvals or a, um, a local official who's taking sort of an adversarial stance with you or the project can result in delays or, or cancellation, uh, which can be, you know, cost millions of dollars. Um, on the other hand, you know, speeding things up or, or ne negotiating an outcome can, you know, make a project more profitable. Um, you could have like a, a manufacturing company that is concerned about, uh, let's say, the, the, the re-planning um, of a local um, roadway, you know, and they have trucks coming and going, for instance, uh, you know, whether or not the, you know, the effective use of that road uh, for transportation purposes is taken into consideration could result in gridlock, could result in the company having to use more trucks to, to service the, their, their customers. Um, and so there's, all, there's just a, a thousand different ways that, um, that companies do interact with government. Uh, traditionally, it's very much been focused on, you know, kind of direct financial or project-based outcomes. I think what's interesting, at least to me, um, and this may be sort of, of interest in the context of this conversation, is there does seem to be a bit of a shift. Uh, a lot of companies are thinking about lobbying in the context of like their their corporate social responsibility. Um, lobbying is kind of becoming, uh, for many, uh, a way of extending or empowering their their CSR work. Um, so, so you know, whereas you know, you might have a developer who in the past was just like, listen, all I want to do here is you know, just just get this thing approved fast. Now we have folks who are thinking, you know, are there ways I can actually engage government around? 
community improvements? Is there ways we can engage government around improving transit to the area? And then they're taking on the role of organizer and, and bringing in other groups and then going to government to make very different asks. Um, but but it's, it's, it's moving in a kind of a new direction. Um, but, you know, in turn, the elevated brand often pays off in terms of their, their advocacy work on other fronts. Um, so it's, it's a big area. It's evolving. And it's quite interesting. That is, yeah. So apparently, well, apparently, because <laughs> I'm not a lobbyist, you can move in a lot of different directions. So there's, there, there's a lot of reasons to engage with government. Um, what do you think are some of the reasons why nonprofits would want to do that? Or what do you think they can kind of achieve or get out of uh, having an advocacy strategy? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of sort of the obvious basic things, right? You know, government controls money, policy, programs. Um, so so that's, that's sort of basic, you know, sort of a resource perspective. What, what, you know, what can government, you know, do or, or empower me to do directly? Um, having government align with your objectives or understand... Uh, how you do your work um, can can make things you know much much easier. Um, but I think if you want to t- take a bit of a step back and, and think about GR in that kind of like larger perspective, you know, as being uh, you know government and, and community and society kind of being deeply intertwined, um, I've seen a lot that have taken the perspective that you know there's on one hand there's sort of the specific uh, explicit asks, but then there's also kind of how not-for-profits, uh, charities, or community groups can uh, kind of extend their reach um, and kind of empower themselves through through government contact. So one way to think about that is politicians are really fantastic and influential networkers. Um, having a good relationship with a, a politician, especially one who's you know uh, particularly uh, devoted to their work uh, and, and believes in, in a cause in line with you, it, it could result in you know, them speaking with, you know, a company later on that week and saying, you know, hey, I hear that you're trying to do, uh, you know, some work that's impactful for, you know, sustainable agriculture. Amazing. I was just talking to this community group that's trying to do like a, you know, some sort of startup market in, you know, in this jurisdiction. And I've certainly seen that in my work, you know, in, in government and outside where suddenly, <laughs> you know, these connectors are saying, I want to solve problems. I want to be in the middle of solving these problems. Like, you you go take your money over these guys. They're really cool. So that's one way. The other is, you know, and again, you have to be careful about, you know, being partisan. Uh, being partisan is often a no-no in terms of supporting specific campaigns or parties. Um, but, you know, if in the course of sort of their regular duties as an elected official, uh, somebody's, you know, tweeting out uh, the work your organization is doing or, or they're featuring you in, in their newsletter or, or, or let's say they're even doing something like a, uh, some press, that can be fantastic exposure for an organization. You know, they're, they have large audiences and large networks that, that you can get exposed to that way. Um, also, politicians, elected officials, uh, not elected officials, are often very much in the know. Uh, so many organizations depend on those relationships to um, have politicians or others flag, you know, hey, there's this thing coming. Hey, there's this grant coming. I remember you spoke to me last year about uh, how you have a hard time finding money for you know for events in, in certain communities. There's this whole granting program coming. Like maybe we should put you in touch with the people who are designing it, and then and then you can get kind of that proactive engagement. And then lastly, uh, they can be, and, and this is not something I'd recommend one start with, but they can be great people for for floating or testing ideas with, just saying like, listen, we're thinking about doing this thing. 
here or in this policy area or to address this problem? Uh, what does that make sense to you? And they can say, of course, you know, we know these people have been advocating here and, and this is what the officials are thinking about here. How do you fit into that, that, that uh, context? I think I want to ask you like a million questions. Okay. <laughs> That's all, that all sounds really good. Um, but for some nonprofits, they're thinking like, where do I even start? Right. So when I was trying to do this internally at my last role, I was trying to gather other nonprofits, maybe strengthen numbers, right? Or maybe a petition. Maybe that's what I should do. Or like I did get the chance to interact with some elected representatives and some federal uh, staff and talk to them about like, why is this issue not in a mandate letter anywhere that I can find? Why is it not part of your portfolio, even though it was part of your portfolio for like 70 years? Where did this issue go? Um, but past that, I don't know if nonprofits know how to relate to government and like move things forward. Um, and there's also the question of like, do I have to be a lobbyist? Do I have to register? Uh, what do I have to do to not get, you know, punished by the government for, uh, for trying to push forward a systemic solution. Right. Well, I mean, you know, taking a step back, just in terms of do you need to like register and what does that look like? Um, there are a, a bajillion registries across the country, some municipal, some provincial and, and federal. Um, the biggest orders of government, federal, provincial, you know, almost universally, I believe, have have registries you need to sign up with. Um, municipalities, it's not always obvious. Um, you should look it up uh, if, if you're curious. Um, like Toronto certainly does. Hamilton does. Ottawa does. Um, I think like York region does, but the city of York doesn't. There's, there's some funny, <laughs> it's very irregular when it gets to municipal level. Um, but like if you're thinking federal, I think the rule there is is 20% of one full-time position or like 40 hours in a month. Um, that's a threshold at which you, you do need to, to register. Um, you know, again, you should never, you should never do anything partisan. I mean, any not-for-profits probably already aware of, of that uh, to begin with. Um, in Ontario, it's like, I think if you're spending 50 hours in a year on lobbying activities, you need to, to register. Um, and in Toronto, if you're not-for-profit, uh, typically one doesn't need to register, um, but there are exceptions. Um, one thing I would say is that if you're worried about it, uh, the, the registrars are your friends. These are people who are, are managing essentially large databases, uh, you know, occasionally dealing with, with contraventions. There's nothing they like more than, than hearing from people who are, 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 are wanting to, to register and follow the rules. Um, so proactively reach out to them if you have questions. They're, they're very helpful. Um, and, and the only thing I'd add there is if you're thinking of doing anything, um, federal, uh, keep in mind that there need, you need to register, you know, uh, based on the date you decide you're going to lobby, uh, not based on when the outreach starts. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Uh, you don't want to decide, oh, we're going to launch a lobbying campaign in four months. You hire the person to do it, but you know, then you're two months late to register because you know, you, you made your first phone call and you realized, oh darn, that, that was a little late. Um, but again, it's, it, you know, and the registries can be kind of finicky. They're very they're cumbersome websites, um, but but there you know there's a lot of grace there, and 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 the registrars will help you um, uh, in terms of getting set up, answering questions you have, and all that kind of thing. So, what was the other component of the question again? 
Yeah, uh, you know, your essay question. <laughs> um, what can nonprofits actually do to move forward uh, systemic solutions? So yes. now that I have my petition and my partners, or maybe do I even need that? I don't know. Like, what should nonprofits be focusing on? Right. So I, and this is, it seems like the low bar, um, but I, you know, when I was in government, I would be lobbied by large corporations that would come in and they'd run me through these like extensive decks, you know, like here's how this technology is going to change everything. And then, and then we kind of get to the end and be like, thanks, thanks for meeting with us. It's like, okay, um, that's great. I, I know your brand. I know you exist. Um, I don't, I, I don't know what my takeaway is though. And I, I, that, that I think is one of the most important things to, to think about uh, before meeting with a government or any elected officials is, you know, what are you hoping to get out of it? Um, like there, there should be an ask uh, made uh, as part of a meeting um, or it should be clear, you know, if, if you're, for instance, setting up like a, a tour of your operations um, that that is, you know, that is what you're wanting to do. You're wanting them to come, take a tour, meet folks, understand what's happening. Um, and then they leave saying, great, I've done that thing. Um, otherwise, if you're just having a meeting, they should be leaving thinking like, oh, this, you know, this group wants me to, you know, talk to staff about this funding stream or or they're looking for uh, me to, to keep them aware of like budget decisions or, or policy developments in this, in this area. So uh, the ask is, is pivotal. Um, you know, for, for any group, it's really important to think about your reach uh, and your impact. Um, a lot of politicians are, are very pragmatic about the relationships that they foster. So um, do think about, you know, in there helping you, does this help a larger network of people? Uh, that are that are consequential that are going to help move the needle on on policies they care about does this impact a lot of their constituents uh, those things should be communicated um bigger is better the, the better you can articulate your reach and impact um the, i think the more effective uh, your engagement is going to be um so you so you have the ask um you have a sort of description of your reach uh, you should be looking at what office holders do you overlap with you know who are the ones who are controlling the funding in the area that you're interested in, who's writing the policy in the areas you're concerned about, uh, who represents the constituencies that you are active in. It could be where your office is based. It could be where you where you do your program or, or, or in the communities that you, you touch. Those are the ones who are going to be, you know, you're going to want to connect with most. They're the ones that you can ask the most of to represent you at a policy or sort of local political level. Um, so map those out prioritize them uh, appropriately. So you refine that list. Um, prepare a presentation, you know, get get comfortable pitching, you know, what, what you're about um, and, and why that's important. A lot of these kinds of things, most organizations will, will already have in some format. You, know, you probably have a website, you probably have a deck used for other purposes. You know, think about, you know, retooling that for a political audience. So, you know, again, explain who you are, all that good stuff. Okay. End up with the ask. Um, and you've got a good document there. And then um, think about maintaining you know, relationships. You, you've, you've done a tour. You spoke with everybody. Uh, maybe, maybe you're just wanting to, to, to build that, you know, your, your network and make sure the government's aware of who you are. Um, you know, uh, ministers and committee chairs get swapped out routinely. Who's, who's the new chair? Who's the, who's the new committee member? make sure that they're on your list for, for outreach, you know, um, sometime after that changes up, maintain contacts, you know, you can show up to events, uh, make sure they remember who you are. Um, and 
and that will get you a long way to having the kind of you know relationships that you you know one you, you may be going to this with specific asks um but also once you've have that network and are, are maintaining it um you have resources and folks that you can go to um, on an urgent basis, if suddenly the government's considering some sort of, you know, profound change to your, your sector or, or, or to a policy area that really matters to you, then it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I was on tour with them last year. They know their stuff. They're, they're working packs, you know, 200 people in my community. And they're saying, you know, hold up there, like this policy change is going to be, you know, really impactful. That you're going you're gonna to get listened to much more quickly. So that that's sort of the basics. I, that's sort of say that's sort of the, the sort of foundational, um, you know, uh, outreach and contact plan. I'm actually surprised, like how many similarities there are between how we do our work. So you're talking about an ask. Oh, fundraisers ask all the time. Yeah. A pitch, you know, uh, and you know what a lot of people who don't fundraise don't understand is that it's all about building really deep, true relationships based on shared values. So I think that's a very applicable strategy here like what can we work on together um and also connecting with the decision makers like all of this is very aligned to how we're trained to do our work so that's very very exciting i actually wanted to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier probably like 10 minutes ago sorry yeah. but it was i wrote it down <laughs> so what what do you mean by partisan right because a lot of the issues right. that nonprofits work on can be considered partisan like you know supporting people experiencing homelessness or maybe maybe they're maybe that's my misinformation misconception of what partisan means sure so maybe you can yeah thank you yeah well i mean i i think you know one that you know the, the fact you consider that to be partisan kind of suggests you're sort of politically savvy to <laughs> the, sort of the the dynamics of, of of politics right i mean you know there are issues that are, are closer to one party or one side of the political spectrum than another. Um, but that itself is not considered partisan. So partisan is, uh, you know, party-based um, uh, support or, you know, uh, you know, we would say like an outsized interest in a specific candidate or politician. Um, so if like, if all your work is around, you know, getting uh, pictures with, you know, somebody who's, who's in the middle of an election, um, that could, you know, that that would very likely be considered partisan. Uh, just as if you, I mean, arguably you could only meet with with you know elected officials from from the government. So that you know, let's say that's federal, you're only meeting with with you know you know Liberal Party or or, or NDP members, um, and that's not considered partisan. Um, similarly, um, if you're aware, like you know, like you know, whoa, this one member over here just went on the news and said some like bonkers stuff that makes like we know categorically that's not true. Um, like having a meeting with them to educate them uh, about the issues, um, it's, it's, it's very targeted. But in that context where there's a, a, a clear public position that you're trying to engage with them on, not considered partisan. So just think about it in terms of like, is this about an election or could it be construed as being about boosting the electability um, of, of, uh, of an individual or, or party? That, that's partisan. Okay, so something I've done in the past... <laughs> That now I need to get this insight. Something that I've done in the past is uh, provide a guide for our community members who access our services based on the top four public policy uh, priorities that they outline. So it was affordable housing, free or OHIP paid dental care, um, and a bunch of others, like better transit or something. 
what we did is outline what each representative, each uh, candidate was saying about these issues and if they even had a platform on it. Would something like that be considered partisan or just like education? No, that's that's just good good background intel. I mean, again, the more sophisticated one gets with your your government relations campaigning and, and work, the one you're gonna you can start learning about the. I mean, they're all at the end of the day. You know, we can we can categorize politicians under sort of you know the large party umbrellas or or put them on somewhere on the right left, you know, top down um, uh, spectrum. But they are fundamentally, you know, people, and and uh, a, a part of the art of of GR is is learning all the occasions and exceptions where uh, those categories and buckets don't actually apply, where, where suddenly, you know, uh, a local parking matter becomes way more important than than you know equity or something like that. Um, so those backgrounders are, are hugely helpful. Um, knowing where the, where the party stands, uh, knowing where the individual stands. That's that's just good intel. Um, like yeah, typically, one doesn't start a meeting by saying, "Like, listen, like these are the twelve things you said, um, and this is the four top policy priorities of your party from the last election." You know, like here's here's how we we hit them or or whatever. Um, you know, typically, one would say, "Like, listen, I I know from from you know the the the, the times I've seen you in the media or or from your campaign literature that that these kinds of issues are are close to your heart." Um, they're close to us too. And, you know, this is what we do. This is what we're, we're trying to affect change in. And, and here's how, you know, we think we could work together, how you could help us do what we do. That's, that's, that's just being well-informed. So nothing to be worried about there. My, uh, my other thought is with donors. So let's say you're engaging a major donor or a mid-level or whatever category, this is an important person that you need something out of. <laughs> um, we usually take time to build a relationship before jumping mm-hmm. into an ask. Like you don't just say like, hi, can I have a million dollars? Thank yep. you. Uh, like you definitely want to create those value aligned partnerships. Is it the same when engaging government or can you go in and be like, please help me with this uh, if you don't have a relationship already? Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, one does go in with with an ask. Um, again, that, that often has to do with the organizational capacity. Um, right. If you're If you're talking to, you know, Let's say it's federal, and you're trying to contact like 26 uh, politicians. So that's like a meeting every two weeks. There's, there's there's background work going into that. There's there's travel time. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, so you're not going to do like 400 hours of of meetings and work before you get around to asking for what you want. Um, so you know the the one you know just as sort of a quick rule of thumb is your local representative. The, the the you know whoever, whoever's in charge of you know the the policy bucket that your work falls under like there should be you know ideally a, a deeper longer term relationship that's formed there um ideally you have the opportunity to form relationships before an ask is necessary but you know as, as somebody who's in gr i'm almost like we're uh, people like me are typically called like things are, are off the tracks like there's a vote two weeks from now nobody knows what, what we need and they don't understand our issues so a lot of gr is, is very reactionary that way but uh, yeah ideally you're in the community and and just part of your regular work is is you know some sort of light engagement with local representatives with those in charge of the policy area and they get that experience with you you build that rapport um and then it's when you're kind of doing the the, the pushes around a specific policy area uh, that you're articulating that ask. Are there any examples of uh, more like grassroots campaigns or like nonprofit related campaigns that you can think of that maybe can illustrate 
some of what we're talking about today? Sure. Let's see. Um, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the stuff, of course, we wouldn't see in, in the news or, or, or media. Um, th- there were a, a, a ton of uh, not-for-profits and charitable organizations that came to our office when I was at City Hall, um, you know, to, to kind of do the things that we were just talking about. Um, you know, a, a big priority for, for you know, then Councillor Kristen Wong-Tam, who I worked for, uh, was Indigenous issues. And we had a number of Indigenous organizations that came to us um, looking for for space or for, for ways of, of more effectively running programs. Uh, there's an interest in, in supporting Indigenous uh, businesses in, in the city. Those kind of collective asks, uh, along with, you know, uh, you know, then Councillor Wong-Tam's dedication to um, supporting indigenous organizations resulted in uh, them asking a developer, you know, give us like the bottom two floors of this building. We're going to create a campus and we're going to set up an indigenous center for innovation and entrepreneurship, which, you know, is almost, almost done. And they're just looking for somebody to, to, to program it. But, you know, there is a physical campus location um, worth millions of dollars um, based on the, the the goodwill and conversations that a number of organizations had um, over several years um, in the last term of council. Um, then if you're looking at uh, other kind of campaigns, you know, and this is, I don't know if this is as applicable for, for not-for-profits, but I, I think about two campaigns that were huge, one that, 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 that didn't work and one that, one that really did work. Um, and this is, this is kind of getting to sort of larger magnitude things, but um, folks may remember there was a, a vote about having a casino on the waterfront a number of years ago. Um, you know, big, big file, lots of money being spent there. Um, you know, as, as somebody who's in City Hall, I would have expected that, that would have been a more, uh, they would have had a lot more going for them based on on their spend <laughs> and their reach. Um, but when it came time for them to kind of like, uh, back up and demonstrate their their reach um what they did was we, we got a lot of letters uh supporting the the casino idea um from addresses that didn't exist and uh from names that we'd never seen before um all sent through the same you know uh, postal distribution centers uh so that was bizarre um they would have been better off not even or whoever whoever did that grassroots grassroots campaign uh, probably would have been better off just not doing it. Uh, you know, a purely economic case probably would have made more sense. Um, that just engendered mistrust. Um, one of the big campaigns that was super successful was uh, elephants. Um, a number of years ago, they were looking at you know, do we you know? I think the, the debate was: is there a new enclosure for the elephants at the Toronto Zoo? Or do we fly them down to Florida to an elephant um, sort of retirement community? Uh, and nothing, nothing has ever reached the magnitude of the the public uh, engagement that that generated. Um, like those elephants had friends in high places and and across the whole city, uh, thousands of emails. Um, like there were like, there was not a politician at city hall that did not know how important it was that these elephants get flown to a new home. Um, and so they were, it was, it was, uh, a very obvious decision, um, just based on that demonstrated 
legitimacy and, and clout of those who are organizing that movement. Those are hilarious examples. <laughs> the casino one with all the like fake addresses. Um, yeah, that's not really going to speak to a politician because they want to know it's real people in their writing so they can push those things forward. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that kind of gets into like an, an area of, of, uh, of GR that you know, we hadn't talked about before. Um, right. Cause I was talking about sort of a contact plan and, and developing personal relationships, but of course there, there are, uh, a, a ton of ways that you can augment that work, um, to, to, to demonstrate your, your oomph and reach and to help, um, solicit action. So, Lots you can do there. Um, it would be helpful to talk about, about that a little bit because there's a few tools that are, are good to know. Okay, so um, there are many ways that you can kind of you know bolster your advocacy um, or make it more salient. Um, so things like press conferences, uh, media articles that that are highlighting your issues, um, doing events with politicians. Uh, again, you have to be careful with the partisan piece, but, but there are occasions when that makes sense. Uh, going and, and deputing uh, at committees, you know, or, you know, whether that's at like city hall and, and speaking about a, a budget item um, or going to a standing committee at, at parliament as an expert on an issue um, that gets you there, your, 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 your presence, you're being heard. Um, and then just all the kind of the passive um, communications that we might think of as being uh, political, but will be reaching political audiences. So if you have a widely distributed uh, newsletter or bulletins, or you have a, a Twitter following that that's um, sizable, uh, you know, articulating the kinds of goals you have um, and, you know, where there's need can help you down the road as politicians are looking up online, you're like, who are these guys that are reaching out? What's, what's going on there? Um, and then they're, they're tweaking to, to what you're looking for. Um, and then just sort of, yeah, again, to reinforce the reach, the knowledge, the depth. And that you're a real organization. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, what do you think if an organization has not started this? They have no idea where to start. What is the first like two or three things that they should focus on before, you know, starting to call their representatives? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, start small, you know, start by trying to a list of you know what what are the what are the policy and geographic overlaps that your organization has you know maybe maybe you are only concerned about one funding stream um, and there's not enough money that's being allocated to southwestern Ontario um, as as part of that um, so just 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 framing that in terms of like okay that's like you know that that does have, does have to do with Fed Dev um, who are who are the local people who might might champion this just just start getting a sense of of the interests and and the, and the players and, and start off small. Um, you can always grow uh, a government relations campaign as you go. Often you need to. Often you have a meeting with one person. And they're like, you know, listen, like I'm 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 working on this, but the person you actually need to speak to is a person writing the policy and and they're on the bureaucracy side. And I'm going to be in touch with them. So the things do grow, and and sometimes you know, very rarely does you know, does very rarely does a GR plan. Um, uh, and strategy survive first contact with with government. Um, you have to update it and adapt it and grow it. So it, you you can start small and and learn as you go. So you don't need to you don't need to be an expert. Uh, experts can help, but you don't need to be an expert to get started. That sounds great. Um, thanks so much for sharing your expertise so generously. Uh, I will link your LinkedIn and your website in our show notes. Is there any other parting thoughts before we go? Um. I think the only 
for me, I think GR can be a lot of fun. It's it's an it's an interesting area. There's there's always so much happening in government and in politics. If you can kind of bring uh, a sense of curiosity, and uh, again, start with bite-sized pieces, you're you're going to have a better experience <laughs> of government relations. Um, and again, it, it it is you can you can do it. It's very it's very safe. There's lots of people you can talk to, you know, in terms of registrars to make sure that you're you're adhering to all the rules. Um, and you know, also increasingly, as I was talking about the evolution of of corporations, more GR folks and firms are trying to do CSR. So there may be folks that that uh, not-for-profits can reach out to to get a bit of pro bono advice or, or DP discounted rates to kind of get started on things. So um, do consider tapping into those resources where you can. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Tristan. And thank you for sharing your expertise again. And thank you all for tuning in for this episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm Maria Rio, and we will chat next time. Bye for now. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Small Nonprofit. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to connect with our guests directly or find me on LinkedIn. Let's keep moving money to mission and prioritizing our well-being. Bye for now.